0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a beautiful Sabbath day out there. Great to be together. Thank you for joining us. Today is the 23rd day of the third month in God's calendar. We are a mere 96 days till the Feast of Trumpets, but those do go by fast. Any idea what I'm holding in my hand? It's about 14 inches long. What did I hear? It's a slide rule. Have you guys ever seen one of those? I've seen one once too. This was given to me by my uncle a few, a few weeks ago. You have two. You used to use one. What do the kids today use now instead of these calculators, phones with calculators on them? In fact, as I was researching slide rules, because I'd only ever seen one once and before my uncle gave me this, this is not even a full-blown slide rule. You can't do any trigonometry on this. There There's certain, slide, there's certain uh, scales that are not on this particular one. So this is a mediocre mid-range slide rule, I suppose. But it laid for you, those of you who use them, the foundation for what you do in, in life. Whether you use it, whether you can use this practically now, how many could pull this out and, and use it? Remember it, you could use that? That's, that's, that's one person here could pull it out and actually use it. I, it. I looked it up and it was, for those of you who don't know, there's several different scales on here. And you use this to find one scale and you slide this out and it was an opportunity to do basic multiplication all the way up to various types of trigonometry and calculus on this long before there was a calculator. And that is all I know about it. But those of you who knew how to use it, and those of you who used calculators to learn math in school as we do now, the question quite often that we hear is, when am I going to use this in real life? How many have used concepts that you learned on a slide rule in real life? Actually, you know, all of your hands should be up. Believe it or not, all of your hands should be up. You don't know that you, that you use these concepts, But there are concepts that you use here. Whether you actually pull out a slide rule now and use it, which you don't, there are mathematical concepts that you use in everyday life that you would have learned by using a slide rule or a calculator, or today a calculator, or various other mathematical concepts. Because it forms part of your knowledge set that helps you work through many other things in life. For instance, probability theory and game theory actually help you in your decision making skills. You don't know it, but some of these things that you would have learned help formulate how you make decisions. You didn't even know it was called game theory, but you learned game theory and probability theory. And there are certain concepts that you actually apply today. Quick math at the grocery store to make sure, well, nobody uses cash today, I guess, or very few. If you probably just pull out a debit card and you run a negative balance, you run a negative balance. That's what most people do today. But back in the day, you had cash in your pocket, and you had to make sure that you had enough cash for the groceries that you were buying or for whatever you were purchasing. Budgeting. Most people run some form of budget that requires some mathematical skills, stuff that you would have learned from things like a slide rule. Believe it or not, geometry. Everybody uses geometrical concepts. Even artists use geometrical concepts. All of these things have formed the basis of how you get through life today. You have no idea how to use this anymore, except for Jim. But you still apply concepts that you learned through through mathematics and through things that you learned in a slide rule. When is the last time you cracked open a math textbook? Probably for most of us, save for a couple up here in the front corner, a long time ago. Yet you still apply these skills today. Deacon Jan spoke to us a few weeks ago on a passage in Genesis 3, in that day you shall surely die. It was a Bible study he gave to us. And he gave that to us because he stumbled upon it during a sermon, and he saw a gap in his understanding that came to light that he needed to study. Recently, we heard a very good sermon by a brother on repentance. And he quoted this verse. Go to Hebrews 6. And it was a very good sermon. Very good sermon. Hebrews 6, where Daniel already read to us. It was an excellent message on repentance. And in that message on repentance, he read the following verse. Verses. We'll begin in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Stop laying, Paul tells us, the foundations of basic doctrines like repentance. It struck me while I heard this, that the of one of the verses that was used to talk about repentance says stop talking about repentance. Like Deacon Jan, who saw the gap and had to figure it out, this stumped, this stumped me. Why does Paul tell us to stop continuing to lay these foundations? Is repentance not important? Obviously it is. Is the laying on of hands not important? Obviously it is. These are basic doctrines that we hold to be true. But what could Paul be referring to? Why does he say stop laying these foundations? What does it have to do with where we are at in the festival timeline between Pentecost and trumpets? That's what we're going to talk about today. What does Paul mean by by stop laying the foundation of repentance? Let's start in Mark 16. Let's start in Mark 16. Because first and foremost, before we start talking about why Paul says to stop talking about repentance, let's remind ourselves that repentance is absolutely important. First and foremost, repentance is important. It is critical in our journey to God. It is critical in all people's journey to God towards his kingdom. We see this. We go to any number of verses. I picked a few. Mark 16, as Christ prepares to ascend back to his father, he later appeared in verse 14 to the eleven. As they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe, and, by association, and is not baptized, will be condemned. So first and foremost, baptism is important. Baptism is, is is key to salvation. John three expands upon this a little bit. John three the well known passage of Christ's interaction with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We'll pick it up in verse 1, at the start of the account, John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or as other translations a little more clearly put, born from above, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when we see these concepts of must or can or cannot, these are are very specific sentences. These are specific instructions from Christ. Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so having been baptized and then received the laying on of hands, which was also one of those doctrines Paul talked about in Hebrews 6, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So again, some pretty succinct teaching from Christ, that unless one is born of water, baptized, and born of the Spirit, having received the laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Not my words, the words of Christ. Acts 2. Acts 2. Again, well-known scriptures, but worthy of a look in the context of what we're talking about here. We just came through the feast of weeks that culminated in the day of Pentecost a couple of weeks ago. Here, we see Peter's sermon on the first Pentecost of the New Testament church. He gets to the end of his message, in verse 37, when they had heard this, when they had witnessed his message, Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So these are devout Jews, came to hear Peter preach. We see all that he talked about, talking about the prophets, the message of the prophets, the impact of their king, David, and how all this pointed to Christ, who they just participated in crucifying. And when they heard this message, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we do now? What do we do now that we see this? Now that we hear the the impact of this prophet named jesus who really was the messiah sent from god that we just put to death lives but we were part of his death when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said men and brethren what shall we do peter said to them verse 38 repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call. So, when you hear this and you want to know what to do, the answer is: repent of your sinful ways, become baptized, and then receive God's Holy Spirit. Acts chapter four. Acts chapter 4. So we're going back before Christ, or during Christ's ministry. We're going after his death and ascension back into heaven with his Father, and we see the same message, repent and be baptized. Acts 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, when he was addressing the Sanhedrin, as we see in previous verses, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Not by anything we did, Peter said, but it is by the power of the resurrected Christ that this man stands whole and healed. This is the stone, Christ, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, the the chief cornerstone upon which the church is built. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you're a believer in God, a believer that this is his word, if you are not baptized, if you have not committed your life to Christ, please make no mistake. The path to salvation is baptism into the body of Christ. We don't all worship the same God. All religions are not the same. We don't all get there on our own path. The path is repentance and baptism. That hasn't changed. It was, the, it was when Christ was there. It was there after through the, the New Testament apostles. Repentance is key. So Paul's not talking about stopping, talking about repentance. He mentions it as a foundation of of belief. So what is repentance? The Greek word for repentance in Strong's is number 3340. Metanoeo. And it means to change one's mind, to turn back, to return, or to come back. Change one's mind turn back to return or to come back. Let's go to Ezekiel 18. This concept extends right back into the Hebrew scriptures as well. This wasn't a New Testament concept. This was this is a concept there from the foundation of the world. Remembering that Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world and it is through that crucifixion that we receive that we can repent and receive forgiveness. So this concept extends back to that foundation. But let's go to Ezekiel 18. and See this concept described here through this prophet. Verse 21 is where we'll pick it up. Ezekiel 18 verse 21. But if a, man, if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Of course, this is referring to eternal life. We all—it It is appointed unto all men to die once, Paul tells us in Hebrews. What concept comes to mind when we read concepts like turn? A man turns from all his sins, or to change one's mind, or to turn back. This is directional. When we think of repentance, it is a change in direction. Every definition refers to a change in direction. When we repent, we change the direction. We're going one way, and then when we choose to repent, we're turning around and going back the other way. We were going our way, now we're following God. That's what this word repentance means. It's directional in concept. So my question is, if we have repented, if we have become baptized, and if we have truly committed to this way of life, and way of life is also a directional concept, are we to continue to change our minds, turn back, and turn around? That's where Paul says Stop laying these foundations of repentance. If we are going the right way, there's no need to keep turning around. So what do we do? Once we've repented, then what? Then what? Let's go to Hebrews 6, back to Hebrews 6. Paul tells us here in Hebrews 6 to stop laying the foundations of things like repentance. But repentance is important. But if repentance refers to turning direction... Shall we keep repenting? Which direction are we, going to, are we going to turn back to next? Or if there is a way of life that we must follow, what must we do then? Once we've repented, then what? Hebrews 6, where we started, the first word is therefore. Therefore what? What's he referring to? Let's go back. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. And remember, as we delve into this, remember the context when we studied the book of Hebrews a few years ago. This was a group of Hebrew believers who were buckling to the pressures of being followers of Christ and sinking back into their old ways of life, the more comfortable paths of Judaism, and trying to use Hebrew scriptures as support. So for both, again, verse 12, verse, chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. They are so experienced in the word, Paul is saying you should be teaching this stuff now. This is, this is your, your, your length of service, your length of understanding of being followers here. You should be at the point where you are now teaching this. You ought to be teachers. You actually need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Your, your your attempts to go back into Judaism and not recognize that the prophets pointed to Christ, that the angels pointed to Christ, that the priesthood pointed to Christ, means you've missed the entire concept of all of your Hebrew scriptures. That all of this was pointing to the crucified and resurrected Christ, slain from the foundation of the world. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. So for all of your experience... You haven't progressed, he's telling them. You still need the first principles. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, who are of full age. That is, those who, by reason of use, by reason of effort, by reason of study, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's talking here about two concepts. Repentance is directional. That's what we've seen. And not only is repentance directional, but we need to move forward in our maturity. He's telling them they should be on solid food. They should be able to teach some of these elementary principles. Not only can't they teach these elementary principles, they need to continue learning these elementary principles. That's how immature they are in the process therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us move on to perfection continuing in the same direction but moving on to perfection not laying again the foundation of doctrines like repentance of faith of baptisms of laying on of hands of the resurrection and of eternal judgment it's not that these are false doctrines they're Completely true doctrines, but all they do is form the basis for our growth. You left your slide rule or your calculator in your bag after high school or university. You don't need to pull out a slide rule anymore. But you practice some of these principles in your everyday life. You practice some of these principles. You're have a car, you at a stoplight and you have a car coming on. You're gauging whether you have time to make a turn based on what his speed looks like, in your speed, and how much time you have to clear an intersection, and whether there's someone walking across. This is all mathematics. All stuff you've learned. But you need, don't need to go back to a textbook every morning and go through it so that you can get through your, your day safely. The Same thing here. He's saying you need to move on to perfection. So when we're in the congregational setting and we're learning, we need to move beyond repentance. Because there's no keeping turning. We're not going to keep turning around in circles. Repent again, repent again, repent again. So if not repentance, the question is what? Because we do sin. We do stumble. We do sin and we do stumble. Once we give our lives to Christ, we are to be even more dynamic in our maturing, putting on the mind of Christ, becoming more like God. So as I asked, once we've repented, how do we deal with our humanity? Let's go to Romans 7. Let's go to Romans 7. For time's sake, we won't read verses 13 to 20. I encourage you to look at that on your own. But that is the the, Paul's description of his inner struggles, of knowing what is right and struggling to do it, of knowing what is wrong, not wanting to do it, but finding himself doing it sometimes anyways. But let's look at verse 21. I find then a law... That evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, I want to do good, but I'm still human. There is a human aspect inside of me that I struggle with. But my will is that I do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Me, the one who wills to do good, he says in verse 21. And then verse 22 we read, He delights in the law of God according to the inner man. That's the, This is the key to understanding this section of scripture. And the maturing process. Paul was going the right way. He says, I I want to do good. I delight in the my inner man delights in the law of God. But I have this humanity in me, this still part of this still human condition that causes me to stumble. I don't want I never want to. I don't want to stumble. But I stumble anyways. His inner man was changed, much like our inner, inner, that we have the Holy Spirit combined with our, our human mind. And we want to do the right way. We hear in our prayers from the pulpit all the time, from those who give opening and closing prayers in our monthly prayer circle. We want to do right, but we stumble because we're human beings. Paul here is saying he delights in the law of God. This is not a man in need of repentance because he's going the right way. His inner man understands God. His inner man delights in God's law. It's this human part that he's still subject to. Now, I'm not trying to say here there's no need to apologize to God. And this is not where I'm talking about here. We're going to stay with me here as we walk through this concept of repentance. He was still human and needed help from God to become a better man of God. The messages to the seven churches give us the answer. Let's go to Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Repentance, as we said, refers to turning around, changing direction, turning back, doing a, almost like a 180-degree turn when we then commit to this way of life. Now, that's not to say we're not going to stumble, fall, need to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, realize that we are human, and walk through what Paul walked through in Romans 7, and realize how he stumbles. But what we're talking about here is preaching repentance. That's the concept I'm talking about here, and our need to preach repentance. When we go through the seven churches, There is a common word that is used to all seven churches and that is found in the the, typically the last verse. Let's go to verse 7, initially, chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What is the difference between repenting and overcoming? That is what we're going to talk about today for the rest of the message. Overcoming, the Greek word for overcoming, nikayo, nikayo, means to conquer, to be victorious, to maintain the cause, and to hold fast. There is no change of direction to those who overcome. Why? Because they have already repented. They have already turned and now, while you're in a state of repentance, while you're going in the right direction, while, as Paul says, you delight in the law of God, while you, the inner man is convinced this is the right way of life, there's an acknowledgement that we stumble. But what I'm suggesting, and this is my what we can talk about after my, my suggestion to you, is that a maturing Christian, one who is growing, doesn't need to Truly repent in terms of turning, but our need is to overcome. And let's, walk through, let's walk through a little bit of this and see where I'm trying to get. And then we can, during our after-sermon discussion, we can talk, talk about what, what, what I'm proposing here. The definition of overcoming, there's no change of direction. It is to conquer, to be victorious, to maintain the cause, and to hold fast. Repentance involves directional change. Because we are on course, once we've repented and we are on course, not perfect, still stumbling every day, our adversary seeks to derail us. He doesn't want, our adversary wants us to repent back to him and change our course and follow his way of life. That's what our adversary wants. We must no longer repent, actually, but overcome and maintain course. Let's go to Ephesus, and we're going to see what uh, what I'd like us to understand here. We won't have time to go through all seven churches, all verses, but I'd like to just pick out some spots here. Let's go to verse 4 and talk about Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have this against you. So he proceeds to tell them their positive traits, what they have done good, But he has this against you, verse 4, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. So there is some good, but you've changed. You know what? You've changed. You've changed course. You have altered your direction. You have lost the first love. So by altering this direction, what he's telling us is we're actually not on this path that we committed to. So that the command from Christ is to repent and come back on, come back online and repent. There, be, there, are, there, is a situa- there are situations within our, our lives where we do need to repent. We, we look at the church in Corinth where they got way, way off track. We repent when we're off course. We repent when we've actually made a change in direction. And we're not on, strictly on, this, this path that God has us on. But his words here is, if you have fallen, when, if you've stumbled to the point that you have forgotten your first love, you must repent. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give him to eat of the tree of life. Repentance pulls you back on course. Overcoming gets you through this life to the point where God can grant you eternal life. Repentance first, and then overcoming. Repentance at the beginning of of the chart of your course. And what we'll see here is if we get stumble off track, if we start to deviate our direction. Verse 10, let's go to... Smyrna. When you go through Smyrna, there actually are no negative characteristics mentioned about this congregation. What Paul says in verse 10, or what Christ says through John in verse 10 do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful. Hold fast, stand strong until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Rather than addressing the need to repent because they are on the right track, he's warning them, you're going to have things thrown your way. Stay strong. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and he who overcomes, he who gains victory, he who maintains the course. He who does not turn back shall not be hurt by the second death. Here for this group, there's no need to repent because they haven't changed course. They need to overcome. They need to realize what is coming down the pipe at them is not going to be fun. But we're going to stay the course and we're going to overcome. They've already repented to get on this way of life. They haven't fallen like the folks in Ephesus did. But they've maintained course. Must overcome. Pergamos, verse sixteen. Again, they persevered through some things. They, as a mention of a gentleman named Antipas, who was a faithful martyr. So these are Christians these are members of the body but but some have compromised in areas of doctrine verse 15 thus you have also hold you also have amongst you those who hold the doctrine of the nicolaitans which things i hate repent or else i will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth some have compromised in the areas of doctrine why? Because sometimes it's a little easier to get through the hard times when you compromise. All that they are going through, that we see some of this persecution, it's going to be a little easier to get through this life if we compromise. So they compromised. And Christ here called them out on that. Saying, because you compromised in some of these doctrinal ways, you must repent. Turn from that and get back on the right, the right course. Some of you, he's referring to here in, in Pergamos, this must be rooted out through repentance. These false doctrine that they were going through. That they were allowing to come in and to, to take hold of these false doctrines. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. To him who conquers what comes their way. To him who is victorious. To him who maintains the cause. To he who holds fast, this way of life, and doesn't deviate, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Thyatira. Thyatira. They were a good group. Verse 19 tells us they were known for their works, their love, their service, their faith, their patience. And they were Growing in works. In fact, he says here, you're last or more than your first. As you matured, you were getting better. But you allowed not only false doctrine, but sexual immorality to come in amongst your group. And he likens it to the evil prophetess Jezebel. Verse 23. I will kill her children with death, and all the children shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. False doctrine combined with sexual immorality in the, in the group, there, there's, there's, there's complete repentance needed here. This, this group has, has turned so bad that there's, they, all of them are, on, are held to account here. All of them are held to account. I will give to each one of you according to your works. Unless, verse 22, they repent of their deeds. Repentance is needed here because the chart has gone way off. Verse 24. Now I say to you and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, those of you who didn't turn, those of you who have maintained your course, who have not known the depths of Satan, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast until I come. Those of you who have not succumbed to these, these actions and these doctrines, you continue to hold fast. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. So if you have fallen off and you have become sexually immoral and doctrinally uh, evil, you must repent. But if you haven't, stay the course. And overcome. We can see here the difference that Paul is talking, John here is talking about through Christ through John, the difference between repentance and overcoming. Both are important, but we must understand the need for each. Sardis chapter three. They became lifeless. They just sort of their passion died. Their passion died. Verse three tells us: Remember, therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Your passion's gone. Turn that around. Get that passion back. Get that passion back. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few. Look at this in verse 4. You have a few, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Those amongst you who did not become lifeless, who did not defile themselves, who stayed the course, are they asked to repent? Watch. They, you have a few names, even in starters, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. If you have not defiled yourself... If you are on course, your job is to overcome. Your job is to overcome. Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere. What does persevere mean? To overcome, to stay the course, to maintain the hold? Because you have Kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon you the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. There's no need for repentance, because they're on course, because they have stayed the course, they've maintained the way. For them, there's no need to repent. But does that mean there's no need to overcome? Verse 12. He who overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. A group that does not need to overcome because they are going the right way. They have not defiled themselves. They've stayed true. They've maintained the course. Must still overcome. They must still overcome. Laodicea, verse 19. And we know all that is talked about Laodicea, how lukewarm they are, how wishy-washy, how they think the best of themselves, and really they are the most in need. God shows his love to us when we change course by rebuking and chastening us. Look what he says here in verse 19. Laodicea, who is full of, none of us wants to be considered Laodicean. As many as I love, God still loves them. He rebukes and chastens them. Why? So they can be zealous and repent. There's still an opportunity to repent, even when you change course. God loves us, God loves his people so much that when we change course, he will chasten us to bring us back into repentance, so we can correct our course and repent. Verse 21, once you've corrected course, our job then is to overcome. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We can't overcome until we repent. And once we repent, our job is to stay the line and continue to overcome these, whether it be our our human conditions, whether it be our frailties, whether it be our our health, uh, persecution. So there's a difference, clearly, to me, between repentance and overcoming. But what are the implications of this? What are the implications of this? A couple of years ago, we talked about the difference between preaching and teaching. One of the implications of the difference between preaching repentance and preaching overcoming is, that is the differences between preaching and teaching. Let's go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Beginning in verse 12, we see here that Christ is out and about preaching in he's in Capernaum, regions of Zebulun, Naphtali. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We preach repentance. We preach to the unconverted. We preach to those who have not given their life to Christ. We preach this concept of repentance because Christ preached repentance. All are qualified to preach. We talked about that a couple of years ago in that message, of differentiating between preaching and teaching. Preaching, when you go through Scripture, First Corinthians 14, I believe, even defines that, is really to tell the unconverted masses that there's a better way of life. That better way of life is in Christ. There's a better direction to travel if you change course and give your life to him. That brings people, God needs to bring people to Christ. John six forty four talks about that. No man can come to the Father unless to Christ unless the Father which sent, sent him draws that person. Christ here preached repentance. Flip over the page to Matthew 5. Seeing the multitude, verse 1, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. These are people that are choosing to follow Christ. He opened his mouth and he taught them. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. Here, he taught followers. And what we see here, what did he teach them? The deep meanings of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means to be blessed or happy in God. What it means to be different, represented by the salt of the earth or the light of the world. What it means to follow the law, that none of the law has been done away with. Not one iota of the law. What these laws really mean, that they're about relationships. It's not about a series of do nots. But they get to the heart of what it means to be like Christ. He taught these people. When they came to him, found a a quiet place, they sat and said, please teach us. Please teach us. Luke 11. Let's go to Luke 11. We'll see this again. If you're a follower of the Wincenna Bible studies, you'll recognize this from previous weeks, as not being the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it was referred to part and parcel of what was called the Sermon on the Plain. P-L-A-I-N, not P-L-A-N-E. But let's see what the disciples said here. Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. So he's got these disciples, and they're watching him pray. And they're seeing this relationship Christ has with his Father. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So we can have that relationship with the Father like you do. What we talked about a couple of years ago, and what seems to come out of this difference between repentance and overcoming, is we preach repentance And then we teach overcoming. Now there are times, we'll get to that a little bit later. But this difference between preaching to the unconverted and teaching followers of Christ is summed up in in the difference between repentance, changing course, and overcoming, maintaining the way. And this governs how we act. it It really does govern how we act. Let's go back to Acts 2 and see this. Back to the beginning of the church age. What happened immediately after that first, feast of, first day of Pentecost, at the end of the Feast of Weeks? Verse 42. And consider how we defined repentance and how we defined overcoming. They've, they have repented because sold, they, were, they were all baptized. So they said, we've already read that part. Lord, what shall we do next? Repent. Change your ways. Turn and follow a different way of life be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. So they've covered the repentance part. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They continued steadfastly. They understood scriptures more and more. They became grounded in them. They did this together they continued daily with a common mindset. This is a healthy, maturing congregation where God can safely send people. There is no buzzing around with every wind of doctrine, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. There is a, a continuance of doing it together, of, of being together, of breaking down Scripture, of becoming stronger in the, in the Word, of, of continuing steadfastly. Remember how we defined overcoming and how we defined repentance. They repented And together they worked on this overcoming, this becoming stronger, maintaining the course, continuing steadfastly. If longtime members are still worried about repentance, then perhaps the course we're on is not right. Perhaps we've fallen and changed direction a little bit that the adversary has affected our course. What direction are we going? Do we need to change course like he admonished the, the folks in Ephesus? Sometimes we can follow the adversary off course. We just read through several congregations in Asia Minor of those who ran off course we, don't, we can turn to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, and see, well, any part of the first ten chapters of Corinth, or 1 Corinthians, and see how this church went off course, how members of this church went off course. It is possible, and it does happen in two Christians, two mature Christians, where the adversary can get us off course. There becomes the need for repentance, as we read through several of the letters in Revelation. Let's go back to Hebrews 6. and the difference here between repentance and overcoming is for your consideration based on the scripture we read in Hebrews 6 that seems to say, stop talking about this, move on. We've studied this in the past. Let's go down to verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And as we studied, it is not if, but and. It is a five-fold checklist that all of these must take place before it becomes impossible to re- be renewed again to repentance. If they f- And they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So let's not forget what we studied not that long ago. This is a checklist of five items. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have be- and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and fall away. It seems here that this concept of not being allowed to repent again comes after all five of those are are checked off. This fall away is the Greek word, and here's where we benefit from searching the Greek words. This Greek word for fall away here in verse 6 is parapipto. Parapipto. It's 38.95 if you're taking notes and want to write that down. It is parapipto. And if we, that is the fifth part of the checklist. If we happen to reach that point, it seems like we cannot be renewed again to repentance. What that means, how you get to checking off all five of those, that's a, the crino factor that, God has, uh, that is under God's purview. Crino being that one definition of the word judge. But this word fall away is parapipto. Let's go back to Revelation 2 where we were. Because here, what we read was, if you have fallen, repent. That's what he said to the church in Ephesus. Let's go back there again. Remember chapter 2, Revelation, verse 5. Remember, therefore, Revelation 2, verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the good works. Here, it says you've fallen. If you've fallen, repent. We just read in Hebrews 6, if you've met all five of those conditions, and the fifth one being and fall away, it looks like you don't qualify for repentance anymore. That's what it seems to say. Here, John says, remember, Christ says through John, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That word for fallen is ekpipto. It is not the same as peripipto. It's ekpipto, 1601 in the Greek concordance. This seems to be deeper than the human frailties that Paul mentioned. And what I'd like to do is reference Deacon Jan's message from 2013, called Understanding Sin, where he talked about the three types of sin. What he referenced was Exodus, you can write this down, Exodus 34 verse 7 was the basis for this message. You can find it on our website back in 2013, called Understanding Sin. And he talked about sin, transgression, and iniquity. And how sin were the human frailties, transgression was a little deeper, and iniquity was where you have a complete course change in your way of life. It goes much deeper than one sentence that I was able to talk about there. But as we work through this concept of Paul saying, I'm on the right course in chapter 7, Romans 7, but I struggle with these human frailties, versus we come down to Revelation 2 and 3 and see all these churches that seem to have got offline just a little bit. Those who did, not all of them did. Smyrna and Philadelphia didn't. But these churches that were gone offline, but were still told, come on, repent. Get back in line. Turn, back, turn that ship around and get back on that course that you were on. Versus Hebrews 6, that says, you know what? There's, there comes a time, if you've met all of these conditions, that you can't repent. It seems to fall in line with this concept that there are three types of sin. And remembering, when we read chapter 3 and verse 19... Where God said in Revelation, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Rebuke and chastening seems to happen if we find ourselves in a state of epiptos. Where we have simply fallen, but not completely fallen away. Because God loves his people so much, there's always a chance. There's always a chance until we have completely, completely become iniquitous. And turned to the point that there's no turning back. So there seems to me to be a reason why Paul said stop talking about repentance. Not because it's not important, because there are other things for us to get to do. If you were still back in high school going through math textbooks, you wouldn't be where you are today. We need to put some of these things into practice and start building upon this maturing process. We're here in Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews 6. Sort of put this. Tie this up and put this to bed. Repentance is crucial and critical. For those who have not given their life to Christ, please repent. Please consider baptism. Please consider baptism changing the course of your life, turning it around and following the way that leads to salvation, the only way, through Jesus Christ. Whether you're new, whether you're young and have not committed, that is the message that we, that we get out there to those who have not committed. Repent. As we come together and build our community and work towards the kingdom of God. While we are not in a state of ectyptos. While we are not in a state of having strayed a little bit. Together, while we're on this course, there's no need to repent in that sense. We overcome. We still, are, are, we still need God's mercy, as Paul did. Paul talked about in Romans 7, that we need God's mercy when we realize the need to, to see our human frailties and, and fall upon the mercy of God and the mercy of Christ and all that he did. But we consider the concept of repentance is a change in direction versus overcoming is continue to get through these human frailties, understanding I'm a, I'm a weak human being. I, ha- I'm, I, I believe in the law of God. I know what needs to be done. God have mercy on me and help me through these weaknesses. As we mature, our maturing should take us from a concept of repentance to a concept of overcoming. That's why Paul says, leave that aside. Not because repentance is not important, because it's part of the the elementary processes. The elementary processes, but we must mature past that. Check out how the New Living Translation words these first three verses that we read. And it adds a Some of today's language that that helps explain what we've been talking about. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. That's the stage we're in here. We, That's pictured by the holy day season. We've just come through Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was given to those who repented and were baptized. We now begin the, the maturing process that takes us to the return of Christ, as pictured by the Feast of Trumpets. We must, and, and as we've said here, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. We must leave those concepts of repentance behind so that we can mature to the point where we are the bride and who, who is ready for the return of the bridegroom. These doctrines Paul mentions here, of faith toward God, of, the of repentance of dead works, of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, It's like the concepts we learned with this slide rule or calculators or, if you're old enough, an abacus. Understanding of basic math concepts that will prepare you for life. If you haven't repented and been baptized, please deeply consider the need to do so because you cannot overcome the world until you are first repented. Repentance and overcoming is all about direction And timing. Let's close in First John Five. First John Five. Verse four. For whatever is born of God overcomes. The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? First we repent, then we overcome. This has been a podcast from the Burlington congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.